What is the big deal about being on television? Those pills you're taking to kill you before you ever get on, for Christ's sake. Big deal? You drove up in a cab? Did you see who had the best seat? I'm somebody now, Harry. Everybody likes me. Soon, millions of people will see me and they'll all like me. G'day, welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your working progress host, Harv, and I hope you're having a bloody special day. If you're not, go make it special. You know, put down some fucking rose petals, eat some strawberries, dip them in chocolate, do something to make yourself feel good, because why the hell not? It's a Sunday. I guess it's not a Sunday for you, is it? You know, if you're in Australia, you're listening to this uh, on a Monday morning, perhaps you're on your way to work and sitting there in your car in traffic, wishing you'd never got out of bed, or perhaps you're in the States and it's the middle of the night and uh, you're an insomniac and you're really, really suffering because you can't sleep. Either way, you know, rose petals and strawberries. I mean, why not? I mean, unless, I guess, if you're sitting in your car, I guess it's make a bit of a mess, but it's not practical advice. So anyway, you may have noticed I had a couple of weeks off, uh, really just decided I needed a bit of time to think through the podcast uh, plan, the direction that it's going in. And dear God, I'm doing housekeeping like Sam Harris. And I promised I would never do that. So I'll shut up. But uh, just wanted to say, uh, we probably do six on, two off kind of thing. So this week I wanted to talk about the stories we tell about fame. Um, and this is a fascinating topic to me. Uh, I, I sort of think about it a lot, um, not necessarily, uh, you know, thinking about fame itself so much, but uh, more how the mythos surrounding fame affects us. Uh, and, you know, I, I struggle over this. I think about uh, why am I doing this podcast? Is this for fame? And I tell myself no, but at the same time, I would view that as a negative thing. So am I lying to myself? Do I really just want fame? Am I doing this, uh, you know, to share ideas with the world? Well, yeah, I'd like, I like that story. But at the same time, would I like more people to listen? Yeah, that's kind of the point, isn't it? I mean, what's the point of doing a podcast if no one listens? Ask me. I'm the expert. No one's listening to this one. <laughs> so I guess the starting point is to try and define what fame is. You know, wh what is it that people are actually chasing when they say they're chasing fame? Um, that's a good question. I don't really know. I probably should have prepared an answer, but let's just do one on the fly. Fame is the pursuit of the attention of a large uh, audience, a large amount of people. Is that what fame is? Can we use that as a working definition? Sure, we can. It's my podcast. We can do whatever we want. So, um, yeah, let's just use that as the basis. It's about attention because you can get famous for various reasons. You don't need to be talented uh, exemplified by, you know, the Hiltons and the Kardashians of this world. It can come for 
negative and positive reasons. You don't need to be doing good for humanity by any means to be famous. So um, it's just the pursuit of that attention at the end of the day, I think. And what is attention and, and why is it valuable? Um, I've always grown up as someone who doesn't really crave attention. Um, I tend to be more of a listener than a talker. Ironically, since I'm the one talking right now, I will talk, you will listen. It is my podcast. You know, I joke, but that's really what I'm talking about here. Um, I'm uncomfortable with this idea of seeking attention. I see that as an insecure negative trait in a person. However, uh, I see it everywhere. I see it in life, but also even more so in social media. Um, you know, my friends on Facebook, I even put a post up the other day that said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I had no idea how insecure and pathetic my friends were until I got on Facebook. And it's it's so true. You just, you just don't realize that people have all these needs, these deep-seated insecurities that make them gravitate towards uh, virtue signaling and demanding attention. Um, how many times have you seen a post that says, you know, cut and paste or, you know, reply with a certain signal so I know that you read till the end? Uh, why is this important to us? Why do we care if our friends read what we post on Facebook? It's It, it does seem like en masse when you, when you deal with all of your friends on Facebook all in one go, it seems like a fucking epidemic of insecurity. It just seems insanely like where it tortured beings. It's an extremely dim view of humanity. And it's that's why I don't spend a lot of time on social media, because when, I, when I'm on there, I just feel like there's no hope for the human race if this is what we really are. But at the end of the day, is this need for attention, is it really just to have the platform and the opportunity to tell our own stories? You know, um, we talk, talked about virtue signaling in previous episodes, and it really seems to be, to me at least, the, you know, very much the core of what humanity and consciousness is, this idea of putting out your story about yourself. And you might think virtue signaling is, is, is a negative thing because it shows that you've got an ego. But even the very act of saying that you don't have an ego or that you think that that's a negative thing is projecting a positive image of yourself. And that has to be ego driven too. So uh, it, you know, it really just does my head in. You could go around in circles about your own motivations. Um, I actually opened the, uh, the episode with a clip from Requiem for a Dream. Um, and I usually don't explain the opening clip. I like that to be a little bit mysterious. But I'd like to play a little bit more of it because I think it does speak to this question of what attention really is and why we crave it. Millions of people will see me and they'll all like me. I'll tell them about you, your father, how good he was to us. Remember? It's a reason to get up in the morning. It's a reason to lose weight, to fit in a red dress. It's a reason to smile. It makes tomorrow all right. What have I got, Harry? Hmm? Why should I even make the bed or wash the dishes? I do them. But why should I? 
I'm alone. Your father's gone. You're gone. I got no one to care for. What have I got, Harry? I'm lonely. A gut-wrenching performance there from Ellen Burstyn, um, one of the best scenes in the movie. And if you haven't seen Requiem for a Dream, check it out, um, but do not watch it on a full stomach. That's the only advice I would give without spoilers. But um, the premise there that she's trying to express is that uh, loneliness and having a lack of human connection is what's driving her to crave the fame. So she's using fame as a substitute for human connection, or maybe not a substitute, maybe it is genuine human connection. If you're on a stage and you're talking to a group of people and they're genuinely connecting with you, uh, that's that's a real connection. That's not a substitute. You know, maybe I'm discounting it by saying uh, using the word substitute. Maybe that's why actors always say um, that they prefer theatre to film acting because they get that immediate connection with the audience. Is that what fame is all about? This connection, this idea of connection. And I guess if you want to find out, the best thing to do would be ask a celebrity. When How I Met Your Mother first went on the air, I ran into an actress that I uh, knew and she said, are you just like so happy all the time? Why am I unhappy? Okay. Okay, so Stephanie Gaga hybrid person. Why are you unhappy? Why is it that you want to quit music? And I remember thinking like, oh, that sitcom's coming. Like that sitcom, it's coming, it's coming. And when I got it, I mean, I won't say it was a depression, but you kind of go through a disappointment because it can't, it, that fame or that thing didn't satisfy the way you thought it was going to satisfy. I had bought into the not uncommon notion that when I taste success, when I get over there, then I'll be happy. But the strangest thing happened. As the show got more successful, I got more depressed. I thought it would be good to be rich and famous. It would be good to be the opposite of this. It would be good to have stuff. It'd be good to have money. It'd be good to be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited. I've been in. We're having this chat in a private Swiss members club in East London. It's super cool. There's bare brick walls. Everyone's double good looking. But I've been inside now. I've seen the other side of the looking glass. It ain't fucking worth it. It's not good. Don't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. I had everything a man could want, even then. I had, I was a millionaire. I had a beautiful, beautiful women in my life. I had um, cars, a house, an incredible, uh, a solid gold career and, and a future. And yet on a daily basis, I wanted to commit suicide. As a Beatle, we made it and there was nothing to do. We had money, we had uh, fame and there was no joy. We are told that if we're beautiful, if we're skinny, if we're successful, famous, if we fit in, um, if everyone loves us, that we'll be happy. But uh, that's not entirely true. I don't like uh, wasting my time spending days just shaking people's hands and smiling, taking selfies. It feels shallow to my existence. I have a lot more to offer than my image. I don't like being used to make people money. I uh, feel s sad when uh, I'm overworked and that I just become a money-making machine and that my passion and my creativity take a back seat. That makes me unhappy. 
If you are looking for fame to define you, then you will never be happy and you will always be searching for happiness and it, you will never find it in fame. Uh, well, ain't, ain't that a bit of a slap to the dick? Uh, you ask a famous person and they'll tell you pretty much universally um, that fame is not the answer and that, that it doesn't fulfill you in the ways that you think it will. And we hear this all the time. We know it in our hearts. So why are there people still chasing fame? Why is it that it seems that millennials, this new generation, and uh, you know, I don't particularly like referring to millennials as millennials, seems to be a kind of a negative label these days for some reason. But why is it that this generation seems to be chasing fame, you know, um, Instagram fame or Facebook fame or YouTube fame? It seems like uh, now that there are new technological avenues to achieve fame, more and more people are just going for it. But the stories that we get about fame are generally pretty negative. So where is the disconnect here? Um, are we not listening to the stories? Are we not learning from the stories? Um and you want to know how dark these stories can get? You know, just do a Google on YouTube and look into some of the uh, more conspiratorial ideas out there about fame. Um, you know, we've got the Harvey Weinstein stuff going on in Hollywood or the Me Too movement, whatever you like to call it. Um, there's some pretty dark shit coming out about Hollywood and fame and, and the way people who are subjected to fame live and what they do and what they get into, what it does to you, what it, how it darkens your soul. And I don't know if those stories are all true or not, but um, there's certainly no limit to how far down that rabbit hole you can go. And I just think that the whole idea of celebrity and fame has become really convoluted and, you know, kind of bastardized, like whereas fame used to be the byproduct of success and now it's the ultimate goal. And you, if, you're, if your ultimate goal is to be famous, then you're going to do a lot to, do, to get there, like sign your name in blood in a contract with the devil. Like you're going to end up in a, on a one-way street and it's going nowhere. Like that's just the truth. I've seen, I've seen so many people like forsake their, their, their moral code and their value systems just for a little bit of fame. And it's, it's not worth it at the end of the day. It's really not worth it. You're doing really well now, but didn't you release a CD like almost 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I released a gospel record when I was 15 um, because I grew up in uh, you know, a household where all I ever did was listen to gospel music and my parents are both traveling ministers. And so I kind of sang about you know, what was going on in my life at 15 and that's how I got introduced to the music industry. I swear I wanted to be like the Amy Grant of music, yeah. <laughs> but it didn't work out. And so I sold my soul to the devil. Why do you still do it? Why are you still out here? Well, it goes back to the destiny thing. You know, I made a bargain with it, you know, a long time ago, and I'm holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where uh, I am now. Sh should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, 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 you know, with the chief, uh, chief commander. On this earth? <laughs> and this earth and then, uh, and then in a world we can't see. So I'm sure you get the idea there. There's, uh, I don't know, hundreds of clips of uh, artists, mainly in the music industry, but I guess also actors and whatever other types of artists you might imagine, um, saying that they sold their soul to the devil, right? Now, obviously, this is uh, the easiest way to interpret this is as a, um, a metaphor, 
Um, and it makes sense perfectly as a metaphor, and there's really no particular reason to look beyond the metaphor. Um, but for instance, that video that I was playing there uh, takes it in a slightly different direction, um, making it seem as if, well, no, stating explicitly that after selling your soul to the devil, which they take literally, uh, you will then be possessed by demons. Um, and that these demons are like the musical artist's personality when they're on stage. And it explains all of the um, alter egos and stuff that, uh, you know, crazy artists always seem to talk about. Um, and that's true to an extent that, you know, um, Lady, Lady Gaga talks about having multiple personalities. Beyonce's got Sasha Fierce. Um, Oh, God, I can't even remember all their names. They start to blend together after a while, to be honest. But um, there's quite a few of them that uh, that had um, alter personalities. Britney Spears is another famous one that she started speaking with a British accent randomly in front of the press, and you can see footage of it. So it's really interesting stuff. It's fascinating. I, you know, I, I can't explain it personally. I, I have a lot of trouble deciding what it all means. I don't think it means demons personally, but, um, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that uh, I tried to look for the simplest answer. And in this case, there is no real simple answer. Um, you know, there's obviously something at play here, something that these celebrities are going through. And, you know, there's a pattern I think, uh, not to be too much of a conspiracy theorist, but there seems to be a pattern to the signs and symbols that are put out in music videos. And if you have a look into that kind of stuff, you'll find it pretty undeniable that they're doing these like one eye symbolism. And, uh, you know, there's very various themes that seem to repeat in music videos quite frequently, too frequently to be a coincidence. But, but why? Why are all these, you know, sort of anti-fame stories? Is it jealousy? Is it uh, from people who, uh, you know, are unable to attain the fame and want it? Um, saying that people have sacrificed their morals and their very soul to attain it does that give them validity that they can pretend that they did, they wouldn't even choose it even if it was offered to them because of the sacrifice they need to make? Is it that kind of thing? Is it a cathartic story? Or is it something that's based more in reality? Is there really evidence for this sort of stuff? Uh, obviously, I don't uh, necessarily believe that uh, there's, there's literal selling your soul a literal devil. Um, but as a metaphor... There, perhaps it's uh, completely valid. Perhaps the sacrifices that the music industry and the entertainment industry ask their artists to make are quite extreme. And um, there's some logic to that. And if you'll allow me to go a little bit full conspiracy theory for a while, um, let's just have a look at some of those possibilities. We're going to keep it to the material world because, you know, that's where I like to live. Um, but we don't need demons to explain some of the crazy and very strange behavior that you see in celebrities. Well, uh, I think that, you know, this is a culture of fear and um, nobody's more afraid than people in Hollywood. They're afraid that they'll drop out of the top, you know, th they're afraid that they'll drop from the bottom of the pyramid, maybe to the middle of the pyramid. But, you know, they, they, they're the ones, uh, Hollywood is the, is the one that keeps all this power structure and all this culture of racism and sexism and, uh, and classism and genderism and all of it in place. They continually feed it and they they make a lot of money doing it and they do it at the behest of 
they're masters who run everything. So, you know, they're not going to get brave enough to do that. I mean, I, I think that there, there aren't many of us who, um, who are brave enough to do that. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I can do it, and I feel that I do it on behalf of uh, many people in Hollywood, too. I, I go to Hollywood parties or, you know, occasionally I go to Oscar parties and things like that, and people, big stars, people will grab me by the arm and take me aside and say, I just want to thank you for the things you say. And it blows my mind, but that, that's the culture. It's a culture of fear for sure. Um, you know, and, and it's a, a big culture of uh, mind control too. MK Ultra mind control rules in Hollywood. If, if you don't know, Google that and look into it. So that's Roseanne Barr on Breaking the Set talking about MK Ultra mind control in Hollywood. So if you're not a conspiracy theorist, uh, you may not be familiar with MKUltra, but what she's referring to is actually some CIA experiments that were performed in the 50s and 60s. These are real experiments, as far as I can tell. They're you know historically admitted by the CIA. Um, the program was supposed to have been shut down in the early 60s, like 64, something like that, I think. But these were experiments that used unwitting uh, victims as subjects, um, and they experimented on them with drugs and torture techniques um, to see how they could affect people's behavior. And I guess the stated goal of the experiments overall for the military was to create like a Manchurian candidate, um, someone who would be uh, an unknowing assassin who could be triggered with a keyword and then triggered back into their regular personality uh, without any memory of what they'd done. So pretty crazy stuff, um, but did actually happen. And the conspiracy theory angle of this is, uh, you'll find this actually through all of conspiracy theory, um, that MK Ultra is like, uh, was, was continued through the years. And it tends to crop up in modern conspiracies, uh, you know, in particular, I guess, mass shootings, um, you know, the assassination of Robert Kennedy, Sirhan Sirhan, um, all of those um, events will have an associated MKUltra conspiracy. So it's no surprise that there are people who think that MKUltra is being continued and used on celebrities and that that's the reason why they are acting crazy. Could Britney Spears, Beyonce, Shia LaBeouf and many other names all be hiding the same dark secret? one that is spoken of in hushed whispers in the entertainment industry. In the early 50s, the CIA began a highly secretive and nefarious mind control project known as MKUltra, and later Monarch. Its goal? To gain complete control over the human mind. Signs of this controversial mind control project soon began showing up among some of the nation's best known stars. Today, Actors, musicians, politicians, and even professional athletes are said to be under this form of trauma-based total mind control. MK Ultra Mind Control rules in Hollywood. But what are the signs? What should you look for? Could there be more than meets the eye to some weird celebrity behavior? Join me as we break down six signs of monarch mind control. Now, there's some basis to this because um, uh, MKUltra was based around creating trauma-based dissociative identity disorders. So when someone undergoes enough trauma, 
They will dissociate um, alternate personalities and those personalities can then be potentially used, I guess, and trained as uh, separate entities to do to carry out a particular task. So whether that's playing the piano really well, singing, carrying out assassinations, or um, juggling watermelons, um, you know, it, it can do that really well because I guess that personality doesn't have anything else to worry about. Not so sure about the logic of it, but I do have a thing in the back of my mind that dissociative identity disorder is a real thing. I know there's some doubt about that and psychologists sort of uh, look at it as a bit of a, a very rare event if something that's possible at all. Um, but I think about it in the sense that, uh, you know, you, you, your mind has the ability to uh, focus on different aspects of itself um, and become good at certain things. For instance, I do computer programming. When I'm doing computer programming, I am not the same person as when I'm watching a movie with my girlfriend or talking to friends in a bar. So I just think of it as a more extreme version of that ability to kind of separate your personality into segments that are appropriate for the audience or the situation that you're in. But it doesn't stop there, of course. There's all sorts of other theories out there. One of my favorites over time uh, that we used to mention on the 1240 Cerebral Flatulence podcast quite a lot when we were doing that is the celebrity clone theory. Now, this is the theory that uh, the reason that celebrities uh, kind of go nuts and have their little meltdowns and stuff um, is that they're actually clones. They're synthetic clones. Um, and because they're synthetic, I guess their computer code can go haywire occasionally and they um they kind of screw up in public um and our favorite uh, purveyor of this particular theory was Vrilex. and if you want to have some fun for a couple of hours on youtube just go check out the Vrilex channel where he'll explain the celebrity clone theory to you in detail and point out the celebrities that have definitely been cloned but I don't think you need to go quite that far to explain the crazy behavior of, uh, of our you know, upper echelon of celebrities. Um, and it's quite possible uh, that there's some sinister stuff going on, but I doubt it's cloning. God, I, you never know, I guess. Uh, I've seen Jurassic Park. I know cloning is possible. Um, but at the, at the same time, I don't think it's the simplest answer that we could possibly apply here. You know, being the artist that I am um, at Sony, I, I've, I've generated several billion dollars for Sony. Several billion. And um, they, they really thought that my mind is always on music and dancing. And, and, I, and it usually is, but they never thought that this performer, myself, would outthink them. Yeah! So I'm leaving Sony a free agent. Um, owning half of Sony. So 
I own half of Sony's publishing in, and I'm leaving them, and they, they're very angry at me because of it, but um, I just... I just did good business, you know. <laughs> Tell him! Say it, Michael! Tell the story! But, um, so, the way they get revenge is to try and destroy my album. <laughs> but, but, uh, I've always said, you know, art, art, good art never dies. Um, <laughs> thank you. I love Unbreakable. You know, and Tommy Matola is a devil. That was uh, Michael Jackson in a pretty candid onstage performance captured by a cell phone, um, talking about the business side of uh, his his creative endeavours. And it's pretty obvious that he was put under all sorts of pressures from the studios, the executives and the power structure that exists in the entertainment industry, and no real surprises there. And it's probably enough to explain the crazy behaviour of your average celebrity. I think it's quite likely that celebrities are put under some form of control, um, that they're that they're monitored and that they're directed to speak on certain issues and that kind of thing. Perhaps they're kept somewhat docile, perhaps they're given medication or encouraged to take medication that makes them a little bit less uh, difficult to handle. And perhaps some of them do go under some form of abuse and end up with split personalities. I mean, they certainly show evidence of the split personalities. So uh, whatever's causing that, it must be something that doesn't happen to us regular folk. But yeah, it could be as simple as, um, you know, they're chosen because they have these mental issues and that makes them easy to control. I don't know. I'll probably never know. But what I do know is I find these stories fascinating. And I guess the main point of discussing all this stuff about fame is just to point out that dichotomy that uh, every single story we hear about fame is essentially a cautionary tale. And yet we never seem to heed those cautions and people who chase fame will get obsessed with it and chase it regardless of what the consequences may be. Um, But it seems also when they do that, um, it's almost universal that they will regret the, the consequences that they suffer. So am I chasing fame? Hmm. No, of course not. Don't be silly. I'm not chasing fame. I'm not that pathetic. Like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast, uh, get your mother to watch it, and if you have to, subject her to MK Ultra mind control techniques until she agrees. <laughs>